What's up, guys? Welcome to the Lightning Cash Podcast. In this episode, we talk about repurposing your content for all five platforms, the benevolent dictator of Singapore, and what was the last one? We talk about how to take control of people's minds ethically. We also talk about what Marcus does in the shower. So stay till the end of the episode. I think you'll enjoy this one. What's up? Welcome back. You're uh, you're back home, but you were in Scottsdale, Arizona, for a little bit. What was that? Was that just a part of your little world tour? That's right. So here's the thing. I was going to go to the U.S. anyway, and it's a pain to go through customs. So I was only going to do it once. And my editor is in Phoenix. So I texted him and I said, hey, I'm feeling impulsive. That, that, that. It's like deadline. Right? And he's like, what are you feeling impulsive for? And I'm like, let's record some videos. I'll just go there. So last time I went um, and recorded a few videos with them, it just wasn't prepared. And I thought, what can we do if we actually just put all our mojo in it? So I flew to Phoenix. Met up with Dan Coe, uh, my boy, still tall as hell. Dude, can you believe that guy eats 4,500 calories and he's still like 7% body fat? Like that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, met up with him, but uh, the introvert that he is and I am, we just met up for like 30 minutes, went for a walk, and then it's like, well, good to see you, man. Good to catch up. Goodbye. And that we just left. (laughs) Then I met Dennis Demori, one of our coaches. I met him again chatted over there and then I met up Quinn uh, who's, who's the editor and what I was surprised about was the level of service this guy provided man so let me let me walk you through this he sent out three videos prepared I didn't do anything he just sent me the videos and we met up at a coffee shop in which we recorded the infamous video we're going to talk about which by the way I kind of feel bad about it and I think it's kind of a, is, is that legal to like put people's face even though they didn't consent to it I, on social media? I think it's only illegal if they request that you take it down. All right. So you're not in our good. jurisdiction anyway. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's rest yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They'll just deny me entrance to the United States. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. We go to the coffee shop and then the guy's renting a studio for five hours. I'm like, okay, this is nice. Now, you know how when you walk it's actually walking for an hour is actually less tiring than standing for an hour have you ever tried that just standing no i didn't realize that for me that's true and i was walking aka talking right for like five hours and the guy i don't know if you guys are listening to this or watching this but this is a good time to watch just stood behind the camera for five hours and he just nodded every time like "Mm, yes i totally get it i'm feeling it when i told a bad joke he would still laugh and I noticed, like, dude, he, like, he was really trying to, like, pump me up. And in the end, I asked him about it. I'm like, why did you do that? He's like, because, like, you can't be alone. Like, you got to feel like you have someone there, and that way you'll produce better content. It's a little nuance, man, a little detail that I, I really like. Well, this is what I was going to bring up, too. I was like, me and Julia were thinking about this, and we're like, I feel as though maybe I, I'm curious what you think. I, I feel for different types of things in business require different kinds of people. And maybe this is a personality type thing, but I feel like for an editor or someone that's going to be really, they're essentially like content producers. You have to, it has to be like your art. Like you have to be an artist and you have to like capture those nuances and like really care about the end product. I feel like editing and, you know, YouTube and video production is not one of those things where it's like, Oh, just go start like a vid, like a video editing agency. You know what I mean? Like you're bottom of the barrel. I think you have as an artist. Dude, he pulled out this visual with 31 human reactions. And he said, I'm going to make you do those 31 reactions because we're going to shoot some thumbnail photos. So now act like you're pissed, more pissed, focus on this. 
smile, turn around. Dude, I feel like a model over there. Guy was just like, he just got it. So we got done recording in the studio. He prepared it, every, everything, the lighting, the good stuff. He's like, okay, now we're going to steak, right? He sponsored dinner. We went to steak, had steak together. And he's like, okay, now we're lifting. Just to sponsor the thing, you know? And I was amazed by the quality of service. And I thought, man, like if anybody can just have those kind of people in their team, it's just awesome. And when it comes to service, I, I think a lot about service. I can, I provide that for my clients, even if it's offline or online, you know? So that was just kind of a cool thing that happened. It's custom because I'm going to record a, a new course, which actually I, w- I wanted to get your thoughts on that since we had James Kemp on. It's going to be a course, but it's going to be a DM course, just appointment setting. And I'm debating between three choices. Do I make it a couple hundred bucks? Do I make it free or do I make it $1 to just get people who want to get intent? Have you ever thought about that scenario? I think about it very often because I just I have so much stuff that I release. And I'm just like, Hormozzi made a good tweet. It was like, if you want to capture a market, make it free and then mo- make it better, make it free and then monetize a different way. I thought that was interesting. So for you, if you were to release a DM setting course, that's better than all of the paid ones out there. You make it free and then you monetize by essentially helping people scale overall and not just with a setter, right? The setter is just the free part. I think that could be interesting. Um, I I've, I think about it often because for me, it's like if I release, sometimes I feel, maybe this is a limiting belief, I feel as if I'm releasing a bunch of free information that it, the only people that are going to use it are my competitors. <laughs> That's what I feel half yeah. the time. Yeah, I was thinking about <laughs> Do you feel a lot? Yeah, 100%. And I actually had a call with, I'm not going to name names, but dude, Two competitors already using my exact DM script. I'm thinking, did I just give too much away on the videos? And I'm thinking maybe I should just, I don't know, man. Here's what I'm, here's how I think about this. I don't think it's possible to make your free stuff better than everybody else's paid stuff. It can have more value, but it can't be more valuable. And the reason why it's because of the same reason that you like the girl that poses a little bit of a challenge. You'd rather actually work for the things that you have. You take things you bought more seriously than the things you got given. It's because it's there's no commitment with free. There's no fun. So in a way, charging money is in itself adding value to the offer. I've been just thinking about that a lot. And I think I'm done just giving everything away. Like, I want to start charging for this kind of stuff. I've been thinking about it, but nothing concrete. Do you have any thoughts on that before we move on to the next? Yeah, yeah. I, I I think what I landed on for, and I change my mind often, which is my trademark, but I've landed on for the for the next few weeks, at least, and maybe the next few months is YouTube being my free course. Um, there's plenty of value on my YouTube. I use my YouTube as like my free course section. And then uh, everything above that is paid, um, which is like... Wouldn't cold email work for you? Because you're an agency. You're not, you're not a coach. You're an agency. That could work wonders for you. Do you say cold email? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I toyed with cold email. Um, I I just realized that, and maybe this is uh this is kind of what I landed on as well is that I just would rather run a lean like a lean agency, um, and we're just like always at capacity. So it's just like, what's the point of running cold email? You know what I mean? It's like run cold email to make my waitlist bigger. You know what I mean? The waitlist. Well, in the, in that just, sense, what's the point of launching a course on YouTube? Yeah, you know, the, the YouTube stuff is more just like, 
honestly, I just want to put out good stuff out there and just have kind of a lead gen machine inbound. Um, but adding cold email feels like overkill, you know? Hmm. I see. Well, interesting. Cool. What a, did something that James say on the last episode stood out to you? I thought it was by far the best one. I loved it. And I thought it was awesome. What do you think? Yeah. The one thing that stuck, the two things that stuck with me and I actually used it and I want to talk, we'll talk about content. So put a, put a pin in content for the next subject, but two things stuck out to me. One was creating a category of one. Um, I think that's really cool. But two, the big one was if you can turn somebody's liability in their life into an asset, that's where, that's where the real value is. And I think about that very often. Yeah, <laughs> and I made a TikTok me too. about it. <laughs> oh, really? What'd you, what did that include? So the TikTok was, the, the, the hook was stop selling courses. Uh, and it, it was essentially a TikTok about the difference between bad courses and all the fake ones and, all, and actually good courses. And the good courses go into somebody's life and turn their liabilities into assets. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really good. I think because you can you can essentially just center your entire marketing campaign around that one, so like that one topic. You find somebody's liability, you turn it into the asset. That's the transformation. That's what the whole sales page is about. That's what your sales pitch is doing. Everything can just be about that. And even in your DM scripts, just point out their liability and then tell them that you can turn it into an asset. All right, book a call. Right? You don't say that blatantly, but you say it in whatever the lingo of your offer is. Yeah, I call that when I'm setting or yeah, where I'm booking calls, I call that the irrelevant object. So I would ask them, what's holding you back? What's preventing you from reaching goal? It doesn't matter what they say. It literally doesn't matter. Whatever they say will be used against them. And it will say, well, we can totally solve that. Let's open a call to solve the irrelevant thing you just told me. So they told me, you know what's preventing me from getting there? It's honestly unicorns i'm like dude we can totally fix unicorns don't worry about it let's i'm gonna call and fix that well here's a practical so let's go practical for one like for example i was just thinking about uh, people who sit at home all day they have remote jobs right they find it difficult to work out get steps in etc because um, they're just sitting still all day for nine ten hours a day at their desk well how what company can turn that into an asset the walking treadmills at the desks you're sitting at home, you're at your desk all day. There you go. Here's an asset. You put the treadmill under your desk and instead of just sitting all day, you walk all day. Now you have an asset. You know what I mean? I feel like that's why they got so popular is because of the amount of remote work that happened. They took advantage of that. Everyone's doing remote work and you can't get steps. Here you go. Now you can get more steps because all you're doing is at your desk anyway, all day anyway. Here's another example of that. You remember we talked about the Zoom, pimp by Zoom guys, the ones that will pimp your background and make your, your mic good. You're going to be in Zoom anyway. Might as well just have it nicely. That's true. That's Yeah, true. so that, that's another example of a sales site. I've been thinking about this a lot, man. This is why I will always post um, how many followers they have. Like if I post a win, I would always also post how many followers they have. Because somebody would, it will speak to that person with that following. And then will, they will think, man, I have this. Why am I not making that much money? It's an important part to turn kind of how he said it, potential into kinetic energy. That that was a great podcast, man. I'm pretty, I'm really grateful to have that guy on. I want to have him again. I'm going to actually pay for his stuff. He has like a hundred bucks call. I paid for it. I'm going to go there. I'm going to let you know how that goes. 
It's really good. And I keep finding real world examples that I can't like that just, they always pop up when you when you do it as plain and simple as liability and asset. Like really popular one I was thinking of is like a finance like a financial advisor or a finance it's like a literal you literally have money in the bank, you're losing money to inflation. It's literally a liability. And they literally turn it into an asset by investing it. <laughs> like as a financial coach, that's you you have the easiest possible offer in the world is you will quite literally turn their liabilities into assets that's a smart one i like it that's more yeah. this one um dude i want to ask you on this so i've been noticing myself and a few clients we do something that's kind of self-destructive but i think you get it right and it's by the way guys if you're listening i struggle with this shit too and it's annoying and i know it's bad but i get like can get very defensive when it comes to prospects almost as if when somebody says no i take it as a personal attack and like fuck this guy and that bleeds into my content and in my life and i've been working towards it understanding that default's not on them it's on me you know take it to me it's because i didn't make it emotional uh enough for them to buy but it's just kind of like a really hard lesson but i think you got it do you have any thoughts about How do you not get defensive with the no? Because it's just a hard thing to do for me. Yeah, it's been, it was difficult. Like it's still, it's always difficult, right? And you never truly get rid of it. Um, I point to a couple of cases that helped me. One was actually with Ryan, Ryan Booth. Um, I remember when I was coaching in, in Lake St. Cash and you guys just had a client who was just not a good fit, but it wasn't because he wasn't a good fit. He just didn't want to put in the work, right? Like he didn't want to put in the work. And Ryan was just like, dude, like, I mean, you can not put in the work and pay the invoice or you can pay the invoice and put in the work and make money with it. Like, like, what do you want us to do here? Like, it's not, you know what I mean? And the, the, the client was making all sorts of excuses. And he's like, you're just making a bunch of excuses. We have plenty of examples doing the exact same thing as you. It's, it's you, like, you're the problem. And I thought he was so straightforward, right? And I thought about that because that's not just a prospect. That's someone that's in the program. And I had a guy on a prospect a week ago and he was like, yes, 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 on the call. He was all in. And then he sends me an email like eight hours later after I send the invoice in the contract. He's like, actually, I think uh, like I want a discount. Like, I think you're going to make more than enough money from this if we hit the numbers that you say we're going to hit. Like, I'm like, actually, we just like don't do discounts at all because you're just going to get a discounted service. Like you're going to, you want, if you want half price, you're going to get a half baked service. And I'm not comfortable doing that. Um, so slowly what I'm trying to get at is I've detached from the the sale and kind of gotten to the point, like, can I actually help them? And will I enjoy working with them in the first place? If they're already going to be like this, right? Like if they're already going to be like this, then it probably isn't going to work out long-term anyway. And it's just detached from like the monetary value. And I've just looked at the long-term, what it's going to look like. And I'm like, yeah, I should probably be grateful that it doesn't work. Um, that's, what's helped me the most. So do you, is it thinking long-term and honestly, it's, it's a pain, but what I'm catching from what you said, it's, it is a pain to not close them, but it's a greater pain to close them because like we've covered in this podcast, that is because that someone is an entrepreneur, say. just because someone is an entrepreneur, that doesn't mean they're not retarded. So it probably yeah, is yeah. Be a huge pain. It's a bigger pain yeah. than not closing them. That's what I'm picking from what you say. Yeah. And it's, it's also just like. So like, I guess if everything can be, you know, if everything can be 1%, if you could be 1% better every day and you realize like, 
if you just look at it as not how can I have done better in the sales call, but like how could I have targeted a better prospect? Like that's how I kind of look at it. Or like maybe it was the framing. You know, there's so many things that it could be, right? Um, sometimes I'm like mad at myself that I didn't, I used to do this where I'd be like, I would try to like get them to pay on the call. But now I'm just like, just send them, if I send them the contract and the invoice and they don't fulfill it, they weren't going to be good for me anyway. So like, I usually just trust them to fulfill it. I'm just like, if you're not going to fulfill it on your own, then you probably weren't all in anyway. So that's something that I've done. And that's more of an agency thing, but um, just like detaching from that and just realizing like, if it's not a good client, it's not going to work out anyway. That's kind of what's worked for me the best. So I see. I like it. I like it. Like it's a pain now, but it's going to be a bigger pain if they said yes. It's kind of like the crazy ex, you know, it hurts because she was hot. But then you realize, nah, she was kind of crazy, man. I think that was a good fit, quite literally. I think we're just also like, we're both babies in, in the game, to be honest. Like, whenever I talk to Ryan Booth, he's he's always so like, what's the word for it? Stoic. stoic. Yeah, he's so stoic. Like, I remember I, I tweeted, like, I, I never felt, I so th this is like a mini story, but I've always growing up would run my bank account to like zero. I would never have any affinity to money. I would just spend it. I'm like, I didn't, I just always knew money would come in somehow. And I was just like, I never saved money. But now as I make more, like I make a lot of money, I have like a weird, like I'm cheaper. I feel more frugal. Like I feel like I have something to protect. And Ryan was telling me that it just comes with, like it comes and goes with experience. Kind of like when you're new to it, it's kind of like you want to protect it. But as you kind of, keep growing in business you don't you kind of lose that i think a lot of it just comes with experience so like we're just pretty new you know if you could but rank yourself this is an interesting this is an interesting one if you could rank yourself in the game of entrepreneurship zero being whatever and a hundred being the richest man well john d rockefeller let's call that just the top top one where would you rank yourself from zero to 100 90 Thank you for listening to the Legs and Cash podcast. That's <laughs> fun. I, I was, I would, you know, the first thought was 50, but then I realized that 90% of business owners never make it to the point that we have. So like that would be self-deprecating and negative self-talk. I think the, the, what the amount that amount of gap between 90 and a hundred is so much bigger than zero to 90. I genuinely believe that. Oh, you were serious on the 90. I thought it was a joke. No, I'm dead serious. I oh, damn. I was going to say six for me. No, no. Like, I think uh, out. if you look up the stats, if you look up the stats, I think we're already, if you look at, if you, so how do you rate, think about it. How do you rank business owners or entrepreneurship? There's only one way. It's by how much money you make. It's how many points you accumulated, right? You accumulate points and you get money done. So if you look at the money we've made, we are in the top 10%, 100%. So if you just look at that, you have no choice but to put yourself in that. Now from 90 to 91 and 92 to 93, huge difference from zero to 90, right? Because most business owners fail in general to, to just stuck at zero. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think, uh, I think we're at, I think we're at 90. I think you're at, I think you're at 90, 91. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, that was that was actually a deeper analysis for me. It was kind of a like silly question. You turn it into a good one. Um, that this is that one friend who overthink everything. <laughs> no, you're you're the intuitive judging types. We're gonna get into MBTI. MBTI is 100% real, friends, and we do believe that we're MBTI respecters in this podcast. What what are you, by the way, again? 
I'm an INFP. You're an O. Oh, uh, there you go. I'm an ISTP for everyone wondering. What does that mean? It's very important. And I learned that because this is actually a good point. So I was reading my manga, right? It was It's a manga about soccer. It's called Blue Look. Very nice. So there's this kid that's really fast. That's what he does. He's just very fast. And that's his skill. The trainer catches him lifting weights at the gym, but like hard, hard bodybuilding weights. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm training. Like, no, no, no. You got to you gotta train on your best weapon because this one's going to kind of kill the other ones because speed is your best weapon. You got to play to your strengths. And I thought, oh, that was really smart. Let me look up my type. And I found out my type. So this is could be woo-woo, but to me, it is very real. So I looked up my type. And I don't know about you, but mine is, it's very rarely a leader and it's very rarely the number one guy. It's never very rarely the Red Power Ranger. I hated the fucking Red Power Ranger. You know why I hated the Red Power Ranger? I hated the Red Power Ranger because everybody else did the heavy work and the Red Power Ranger took all the glory. And I did not like that. I like the Blue Power Ranger because the Blue Power Ranger always cleaned house. He knew what to do. And that's always been kind of my type. I don't like managing people as much as I just like doing the thing, acting, kind of like my thing thing is never a general it's more like the warrior that's doing the thing and when I understood that my partnership with Ryan just got so much better because he got to be the leader I got to be the Hulk I just got to be the guy just just did things and I just think it's a very useful exercise to find what your strengths are and I'm a big believer in just do the strengths keep the weaknesses not detrimental don't sharpen it but keep the strengths up and work for me could work for you guys that's pretty good. I think I, I was listening to a, a podcast and the guy said, uh, after a certain threshold, it's really just hiring killers. But I think about it. I'm like, what if, what if you're the killer? <laughs> you need someone to, you need to essentially get someone like Orion for you and then just be the killer. Do you know what I mean? Cause I, I know, I, I, I know exactly what it's like. Um, it's like, what if you're the Hulk, right? You'd rather just be smashing things. You need an Iron Man. You know what I mean? Somebody who's like out there like helping you. Not necessarily being your boss, but understand that he's more of a big picture oriented person. And that's fine because you can just do your thing and you'll still win. Yeah. Well, speaking of doing your thing, I've noticed that um, you do you do this really well and you actually made a post about it of repurposing the content for the platform. Like you have you'll replace the right words and you'll you'll change up little things to go on the Instagram and LinkedIn. It's funny because it's something that's talked about pretty thoroughly out in the social sphere, but no one really does it. Maybe it's the resources or the effort required. I'm curious if you can give some insight into like how you think about repurposing it for the different platforms and why you even decided to go in on it because most people know about it, but no one really does it. Yeah, that's a good one. So my kind of my birthplace, it's always Twitter. And the sister to Twitter will always be LinkedIn. Now, I think it was Tim Denning that told me this. So shout out. Tim said, you can't just copy and paste your entrepreneurship content into LinkedIn because people's bosses are watching. You don't want the boss to see them liking a post about quit your nine to five. Doesn't work that way. So you might go from break free to build an audience because an audience serves the employer 
So that's kind of how I think about LinkedIn. Make something that the employer would like. Hey, I'm taking this course. I'm learning new things. So then they can say, because I'm using it for the job, even if it's too quick. It's just kind of an excuse. So that's what I use for LinkedIn. When it comes to Instagram, uh, when it comes to Instagram, I always try to do hooks all the time. Like I like to call people out on the first one. Hey, coaches. Hey, coach. Are you a coach? It's just a useful way to get people's attention. And on YouTube, kind of the same thing. Uh, when it comes to shorts, I like to give a, I like to think of myself like a, kind of as a drug dealer. I will give a little tactics that work in a very specific context, but don't work all the time. But people love that shit. As in, here's the tonality in which you say this amount of price points and make them take the pay in full. That tonality would only work in a very specific scenario. But it's just a little feel-good medal that you can keep. That's how I think about Instagram. It's give them just the the little tactics because people actually do dig that. And that's how you grow on that platform. I kind of I got this tip from you. Don't play to the ego game, play to the platform. That's what people like on that platform. When it comes to YouTube, <clears throat> also hooks. I had to learn a lot. My editor's really good at that. So he gives me tips, he formats my videos. But um I think YouTube is a platform that I like the most just because I'm more of a long-form guy and I like enjoy doing that. Um, so that's kind of what I do. Twitter, you can be very free. I feel like in every platform, the content you think about and the content that should come out is different. In Twitter, it's not. The same content you think about is the one that comes out because it rewards kind of just top of mind, you know, things you're thinking about. So. To me, it's the platform I get to be the least careless, is the most careless with. LinkedIn, if a good boss can see it, good to go. Instagram, feed people little tactics. And in YouTube, I feel like the best move is actually being yourself. Because I've tried to do the other, you know, I tried to do the Mr. Beast things. I've tried to do the make it look really well. And I feel like it's very easy to lie on text, but it's very hard to lie on video. And if people listen to one podcast of me doing this thing, I can't lie to them all the time. So that's why in YouTube, I actually gave up and said, I'm going to just be myself. So those how that's how I think about those four platforms uh, right now. And the most fun one, it's actually YouTube because I get to do this podcast, I get to do the videos, and I get to explore themes that I wouldn't have the chance to explore. But YouTube, as Daniel Fazio once said, it's uh, you got to have some resources to play the game well. And actually agree with that it's like what do you say it's like twitter for rich people <laughs> something like that i totally like, agree like i'm yeah, not gonna have to make all my shorts myself <laughs> that's so yeah, much too work. much yeah it's yeah but, but yeah do you, do you use tiktok at all no nah, i'm i mean i repost stuff there i have like a thousand two thousand followers it's not a focus i just copy and paste stuff or my assistant copies and pastes stuff yeah, it's good for it's good for like B two C. It's like it would be good for your clients, but not necessarily for some of your clients, but not necessarily you. Does that make sense? Like it's good for those very chill, just like it's almost like you just got a, like you just got out of the bathroom and you just like turn on the camera and start talking. Like it's really good for like the unedited raw stuff, but it's really it's all B two C stuff. So you really get like a lower level audience. So like what your fitness coach, sorry. What platform did you say again? TikTok. Mm, mm. Like, if you are a fitness coach, you could crush it. Like, absolutely crush it. Like, uh, but if you're like a business coach, 
not so much unless you're like harmosi and you just have like elite level of clout <laughs> yeah it's just a complete outlier i actually stopped taking so much advice from the guy on videos i believe uh like a guru's best work will never be in video it will always be written because written requires so much more thinking and depth so i took the books i unfollowed muted and i'm not going to consume because i think the books are enough of what i need at the moment right now yeah and i'm like halfway through the noise i how you, what you think of it? I'm I, it's, I'm I really like it, and it's what sparked the whole like. Uh, it's funny that he has the repurpose things for the platform kind of thing in the in the in the middle. I really like the lead magnet stuff. There's a lot of good stuff. It's a lot to it's a lot to unpack. I, it's like almost a curse if you're an existing business owner because you get so much information. It's like great if you're like in startup mode and you can just kind of read offers back to back with leads, and you have like two strategies go in but when you already have a business it makes you rethink your entire fucking life <laughs> oh let me let me let me walk you through this because this one i thought about really well i like experimenting it's so exciting to buy a new domain name and do things right and do another business and get into another business model and that itch is kind of what made you an entrepreneur and it's the one that prevents you from leveling up as an entrepreneur as well so the way i conquered that is with this phrase. So you get that itch to iterate. You get that itch to create new things and just fuck around and find out. And the way I cured that, it's, I'm gonna cure that itch, and here's a phrase, by doing this. Iterate what's already there. So you get that itch to create new things. Iterate what's already there. Not in new businesses, don't change niches, don't go into fucking e-commerce, start selling carpets. Go into what's already there with you and what can you fuck around within the constraints of what you've already built? And I've found that that makes you more money and that allows you to cure that edge of, ah, oh, let me just try new things again. I want to try new tactics. And that one was really helpful for me. So maybe that can help you out. I love that. I actually just, we, we probably started right at the same time, like last, maybe a week or a week before. And this is a two part. So the, the first part is that I think you're right. Like we become entrepreneurs because we have the God complex and we think we're better than everyone, but we're also like have crippling insecurity. So we're just like, I need to start the new thing. I need to start the new thing. And I'm a God. So I can obviously start something great. Like, But then you don't, you have to build the third one, which is the impulse control. Um, but uh, I think uh, I do. I, well, I it's not impulse that. control that you need. It's impulse redirection that you need. Like control True, your business like to move to the thing you're already doing. Like you get that itch. How about you get that itch to read a fundamental copywriting book and iterate what you already creating with copy, right? You get that itch yeah. to read a coaching book that shows you how to deliver a better service of what you're already doing. You don't iterate on new things. You iterate on what's already there. And that made me way more calm. It made Ryan way more calm because now he doesn't have to walk, talk me out of 10 business models. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like that. I'm like... Yeah, like I, I try to run experiments like on platform, like for like I'll run like Twitter experiments instead of trying to run like business model experiments. I feel like that's the small tweak that's huge. It's like a big difference, but you don't even realize you're doing it. You're like, you always think you're experimenting, but in reality, you're just sidestepping, sidestepping, sidestepping. But if you experiment, like you said, on the things in your business, you can kind of make 1% better every day instead of just sidestepping. And you also feel chill. It also creates calms that craving it's the diet coke of business so you take nice. that you're not gonna get fat you're still gonna iterate and save stuff 
Aspartame is beyond the topic. We do not cover this in this podcast. We do drink Diet Coke, and I enjoy it. I haven't had a Diet Coke in so long. I, I'm a Coke Zero guy. Oh, that that thing. It's a, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. You can't say it's the same thing. You're going to get canceled. Oh, well, dude, I've, you're, you can cancel me for many things. You can cancel me for, I'm not going to say the R word, but you can cancel me for many things, not Diet Coke. That's just not going to be it. <laughs> All right. Next. Uh, <laughs> Next. I think something that everybody needs to have in their back pocket when it comes to selling is understanding that everybody's got a switch. And if you pull that switch, you can change people's minds like this. So for example, Ryan knows my switch. He's like, I'm like the fire, he's the water. He just calms stuff down, right? I bring chaos to him, he brings order back. So he knows that if he gives me kind of logical reasons why it will work, that make complete sense. I will say, but yeah, but what if this one works though? Like he'll know I ignore him, but he knows what my change opinion switch is, which is he will refer to the two or three people I really respect. And he will say, they said that, and that changes my mind. And I've used that too. For example, uh, I know, I know this person that, um, this old lady that really loves her family but she needed to lose weight for something that needed to be done. And she wouldn't lose weight. Like, it was so hard. She's like, no, I got these cravings. I can't do it. Until one doctor pulled her aside and she asked her, do you love your family? She's like, of course I love my family. She's like, well, why are you planning on dying early? That was all. That was all it took. Boom. Lost like 20 pounds. That was it. That was, that was, the, off, that, that was the change of opinion switch. So if you can find who's the person they listen to, what's the string you can pull? If you find a person that you feel like you are talking to often, your girlfriend, your business partner, coworkers, it is very useful to have that change opinion switch because then the converse, you can speak their language and they will get you more. So that was just kind of an insight that I had, the change opinion switch. And um, I've, been collect- I've, been, I've been taking notes on people. So now... Now I'm kind of getting getting the hang of it. Who are the two to three people that you respect? It's uh, Taki Moore. It's uh, James Kemp. And uh, it's got to be... It's not it's not Schwartz. Claude Hopkins, that guy. But uh, th- those guys, I'm like, if if they said it somewhere, I'm like, it's true. Sure. This what, is do you have, what do you have for a change of opinion switch? Make sure Julie's not listening. We're in the clear. We're good. <laughs> We're good. My change opinion switch. It, you know what it really is? It has to be, it, it's when somebody's in the exact same business model as me and they're doing better than me, I'm willing to accept. It's so hard for me to accept advice from someone who's not in my business model. I don't know why. It's like I, they have to be like the exact same target market and the same structure and they just have more revenue. I'm like, all right, you're doing something better. You have more points with the same vehicle. That's how I, like, it's so hard for me to take advice from someone that's not in it. Well, there you go. And sometimes your clients will have that too. If you think about it, sometimes you are their change opinion switch. And sometimes when they ask you about a strategy, they don't want to know what you think about the strategy. They just want you to say, I think that's a good idea. Go. 
because then they yeah. can put it aside and go. Here's a here's kind of like a, a segue too. Is I, I made a I made a video and it was like for me and maybe this is like this is also maybe unique to the newer market, but I think in order to have a, the best coaching program, you have to still do the thing that you are teaching people how to do. You can't just do the coaching. So for you, it's easy because you're you run like a high level coaching program and you help like fitness coaches and fashion coaches and all this stuff. Yeah, you coach coaches who coach other coaches coach. Other yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you don't actually though. Like you have like fitness coach, fast, fast fashion coaches, all sorts of stuff. But um, it's it's a funny joke though. I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but but like my point is, you know people who start a coaching program and then they don't do the thing anymore they just do the coaching you slowly become farther and farther away from what's working now and you you pretty much stop running those experiments that we were talking about because you have nothing to experiment on all you can do is give advice and then also now the people who you are coaching might not use they might not see you as that switch anymore because they're like well he doesn't even do this anymore like his tactics probably old you know what i mean it worked for him a year ago but it might not work now like you know what I mean? Like, why is it so easy for me to take uh, operations uh, advice from Ryan? Because he has a sick operation now, right? It's working for him yesterday. So now I definitely will work for me today. So for me to take advice from someone, they have to be doing the thing. And I think it's the same for all coaching programs. You know, if you run an Amazon FBA program and you're not running Amazon FBA anymore, who's to say your tactics still work? You might just be selling old tactics. So I think you have to do the thing. And this is what, uh, what Alex did with $100 million leads. $100 million leads is the living proof of $100 million leads, right? So $100 million offers, same thing. It's 99 cents. So I think you got to do the thing really good while teaching the good thing. So you, you essentially always have, you're always doing two things. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. And I'll add an another component, which we talked about before. It's open source coaching. Do you know the amount of times I've given clients tactics and they come back with a better tactic? Dude, it's crazy which is so cool to, it's also an argument if you're a one-on-one -on -one coach, uh, why group coaching is better. Because when it's one-on-one, -on -one, the source is you. It's a one, it's web two, right? Whereas when you have other, it's a group, You, it's like web three, everybody is connected. So it's also a good argument to say why group coaching is better than one-on-one -on -one coaching. Because everybody- Can you give an example? Yeah, I'll, I'll try. Um, Mike Hoffman. So he was in the program. We gave him um, the DM script, use this. Next up, he has 2,500 followers. One month, he makes 31K. And I'm like, amazed. I'm like, dude, what the hell? And he was the one who introduced the idea of setters and incentives and how do you pay them and how many DMs do you send every day? He's the one that brought that into like my world. When I saw that, then I could like, okay, he, he gave me the ball, now I gotta give it back. How can I add value to this? And so the system started getting better. The script got better. The, how we hired setters started getting better. Auto DMs, I got some alpha I wanna share with you. I'm not gonna give it here, but I'm, I got some alpha with you. About how, how do you start a conversation off an auto DM? According to me, you could only just, by, by the way, an auto DM is also known as a two-step, which is like and comment this, and I'll send you a resource, essentially. Sometimes it's automated, sometimes you send it. But yeah. we wish we had many chat on the X side. <laughs> uh, tweet under. Yeah, it's, it's not many chat. Like many chat, you just talk to the bot <laughs> the whole time. It's so good. No way, really? You've never used many chat? I mean, oh, I've man. heard. No, I mean, uh, 
No, I got alpha. I have alpha for you after this. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I can subscribe for alpha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after hours. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we can talk a little bit about it. But the reason why we're not giving everything away, by the way, friends, it's to protect you in a way. Also, because we don't want our competitors to steal the shit, but it's also to protect you. If we give you everything away, then the third world country dude is just going to copy and paste it and it's not going to work in two months. So in a way, we're doing it to protect you. There you go. So auto DMs. According to me, it was only a way to get leads as in uh, email subs. Turns out there's a very specific way you can ask a question in a very specific order and place that will spark a sales conversation that may turn the may speed the sales process way more than just asking them for their email. I didn't know that, but Lucas brought that to me. He said, this is how you do it. Now we're using that and it's rocking. So it's, um, it's another example of yes, do the thing while you're still coaching, but also like get ahead of yourself, uh, like, get over yourself and learn from your students. Like these guys are iterating over your stuff and they coming up with nuances. You would never ever come out with your come up with on your own at least not quickly and these guys are just doing it for you so that's just a really good thing about group coaching that's very valuable well here's a good a good kind a good uh, extra point on this and i'm curious what your thoughts are what i feel and what or at least what's worked for what i've noticed is that as a coach right you can give as many specifics as you can scripts content frameworks etc but the best students figure out the ways to iterate them for themselves and make the micro adjustments for themselves that work for them. Have you noticed that the people who take, who make the micro adjustments and give you counterpoints and are doing the experiments and they succeed best? Cause I feel as though a lot of people will take everything like super literal to the point where they can't even come up with their own unique idea off of any coaching. And then they'll blame the coaching. And I've, I've noticed that a little bit where like, the best people are the ones who experiment a little and kind of create something for themselves out of the information they got for you. And I did this with, with your coaching. It's like a lot of stuff you gave me was great, but I iterated it slightly for myself and maybe for, for what I wanted to do. And then, you know, by the time I was done, I had like my own unique business. Do you know what I mean? Do you see that? Or do you feel, would you rather? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'll tell you a story on this. So now every coaching question I get asked, I will always say, are you asking me, how do you think about the problem? Or are you asking me, what to do now whatever they answer i've noticed the people who ask what to do tend to succeed faster because they just apply the tactic boom done the people that ask me how to think about the problem they succeed bigger may take them longer time but they just kill it they smash it because they understand the concept mm -hmm. when i was in physics in in computer science in college dude i fucking flunk physics. I had to pass a test. And I remember I got lucky then, but there was this one formula that was really archaic, like just like weird. Nobody knew about this formula. It was kind of like on the footnotes, but I just memorized it. I'm like, I'm going to memorize this formula. And it came in the test, right? When it came in the test, I knew exactly what to do because I memorized it. How did it work? No fucking clue, but I memorized the thing. So that was when I got lucky. If that didn't come in the test, I flunked it and I had to repeat the whole semester. So I got lucky there. Now, looking back, I'm glad I memorized it, but I also realized I took a huge risk because that was an archaic formula that shouldn't be there. And a lot of it is in business. You're doing something that 
works if the conditions are perfect. But what you want is you want stuff that works even the conditions are imperfect. And I feel like the people who ask me about how to think about the problem usually succeed bigger. The other, the other ones do it faster, but this ones do it bigger. So that's what I've seen in the program. So here's like some maybe some practical advice if you're a beginner listening to this is for me, I, I think the wrong thing to do when you have zero is to do the how. So like for me, I was always a how. How do you think about this? How can I make this different for myself? And I think for the longest time, I wanted to be so special and so unique because my ego. But in reality, I think I needed to be like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then after I get not poor, <laughs> I can go and now start to iterate to get past like 10K a month. Like after 10K a month, I could start to iterate and build a real business and stuff. But I always thought, not thought, I didn't think this. I just had this crazy ego where I thought from zero to 10, I could be different. But in, in reality, I think zero to 10, I just needed to copy somebody word for word, bar for bar. Like if I paid for your course, give me the answers. I should have just done that. You know what I mean? Um, but I, 100% but I because, because then you get the money and with money comes detachment. With detachment yeah. comes good judgment. So exactly. well, that's that what is, works. Yeah. See, sometimes you just got to copy things. But like that is to me until a point in which kind of your stuff is paid for. Like, bro, I did that until 5K a month because 5K a month in Guatemala, that's bank executive salary. And I'm like, okay, now I have earned the right to be an artist. I have earned the right to iterate because I've already got my living taken care of. And you're not that far. It's a few clients. You're really not that far. Copy and paste what somebody else is doing. And one person, though, can't be many people. Because then you'll always get back to the where you started. It's got to be one. And then iterate, because you've earned the right to be an artist. Have you heard of uh, Lee Kuan Yew, the old dictator of Singapore? So no. this kind of reminds me of like when it comes to hiring. Like for me, I think when early on when you hire, you just want them to do exactly what you need them to do. And then as they become more seasoned part of your team, you want them to creatively think and actually add something to the greater vision of the company. So I think with, with so Lee Kuan Yew was, he took over Singapore in like 1950. They were the third world country in maybe 1945. And they essentially called him the benevolent dictator. So he was a good dictator. He brought them from a third world country to a first world country, now one of the richest countries in 50 years, a single generation. It's one of the most unheard of things. I went to Singapore and talked to people there and they see him as like, he's the GOAT. <laughs> like, they're oh, like, okay. he was a dictator and they're like, he's the GOAT. <laughs> like, when he died, the line to go to his funeral was like around the block kind of thing. Um, so when I think of that, I'm like, I feel like starting off and you can, you know, whether you're as a hiring or even if you're a new, if you join a coaching program and you're at zero, you kind of need to learn and just take it as benevolent dictatorship and just like, they want what's best for me. Take what they say as gospel. And then as it grows and it gets off the, basically out of poverty, third world, to first world. Now you can start to have a more collaborative process and iterate, experiment and stuff like that. So I feel like that was kind of a parallel that I drew. And I think that's important. That's fire. I remember a tweet of Wiz of Ecom. He said, never forget, I don't, uh, don't forget that you were once praying for what you have now. So what are you praying for now? What is that number? Until that number, you iterate, you become creative until then copy people, man, because honestly, eating is more important than being original right now. So just get that out of the way. It's so By the way, I love that story you had. I think it's really cool. And 
Um, okay, before I transition into anything else, do you have something here? I wanted to ask if you, and I feel like Ryan does this really well, but maybe maybe it's something that I've always, I want to keep doing it to have cool stories like that. I feel like to be a good, and maybe someone can comment and tell us, I feel like the best podcast hosts are well-read. And I feel as though Ryan does this really well where he's just like, he's a, he's a business guy. He'll be reading about like the Nazi upbringing and then he'll be reading about like stoicism and then reading about science. And I'm like, I feel like you need to have well-rounded information coming in as like business, but also the sciences and histories. And I think Ty Lopez does this really well is if you're well-read in all facets, you can bring so many better parallels to business and it makes these podcasts much deeper and they, it puts people into rabbit holes, right? Like I'm sure someone's going to click off and go look up who Lee Kuan Yew is and when I consume a podcast, I think that's what I want to do. I want to go down a rabbit hole. So I'm interested if you if you have considered like, or if you already do, just like well-rounding the reading and like going, because, you know, I've read like copywriting books and advertising books and marketing books, and it gets so boring eventually. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, fuck nonfiction, man. I just read, I just read stories. Like, I guess stories are nonfiction or like autobiographies, but fuck stuff that's not stories. Like, I don't, I don't personally enjoy it that much. Yeah. But I don't think it's a, um... What what did you say? It's a I don't think it's a trait. I think it's a skill. I think it's mm-hmm. something you pay attention to. Charles Bukowski is really good at this. Charles Bukowski's books are stories, but what's so interesting about it is that he'll tell stories about just the faintest of things, about the bird that passed and then how the girl next to the bird that was going to be the love of his life. And it just takes the most mundane moments and makes them beautiful. And that's what I wanted to talk about here right next, because I think everybody should have stories depend, like you shouldn't answer the questions you get with answers. You should answer them with stories, because when you answer with stories, you transport people there and they are so much more powerful. So I'll give you an example. When people ask me, well, how was Poland? I could tell them I'll really learn how to calm down. Oh, cool. But what I tell them was that every day I would go out at eight a.m. to my house and it was summer now polish people they love the sun because they get kind of very little of it so you would see people happy just walking and every day on the way to my co-working space i would see an old dude he would sit down at 8 a.m and i'd go work come out and i remember very distinctly i would see the same guy reading a newspaper except now he had an empty cup of coffee and an ashtray with five cigarettes that he just got down and he's super calm all the time. And that's what I saw in Poland. People were just getting it. They were just happy. When I tell that story, people are like, oh man, that's kind of cool about Poland. Instead of me saying, oh, it was kind of calming. So for the questions you get asked frequently, how do you come up with likes and cash? I tell the Tony story. For the questions you guys, everybody gets asked frequently, have a story that will make people go, oh man, I was there. Because it's such a powerful way to connect. You have one, Marcos. When I asked you about, when you told me about the coconut story, I tell that story about how people are happier and wherever you are. Yeah, yeah. So we order coconut water pretty much weekly. We get a couple liters delivered to our doorstep. And the man came and he knocked on the door and he was he gave us the coconut water and we had overpaid him by 50,000 rupiah, which is $3 in U.S., um, he was, we went back to our offices because we have like these offices that are almost like soundproof and we just started working with headphones on. He was at the door for like 20 minutes, just sitting there waiting to give us our $3 back. Like he, 
he could have just taken it as a tip. He's sitting there all for 20 minutes. We didn't see it. We opened our phone. We're like, oh my God, he's at the door. Then we went back to the door. To, we were like apologizing. I tried to give it to him, like take it as a tip, take it as a tip. He was like, he did not want to take it as a tip. He was so, he did not want to take it. He ended up accepting it. Um, but he wasn't mad. He was just like so happy. He was just like, yeah, no, it's fine. You're good. Like, just chill. See, like, that's, that's, that's so nice. So you could tell people, well, Bali was really cool, man. Uh, like, you got a coconut water. Or you could tell that story that has so much richness to it. Now I know that Bali is like super inflated. What was it? 50,000 rupees, three bucks? Jesus. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that, right? Now I learned that you're a good guy. And I learned that people in Bali are also good guys. And it was just a way like people can connect, you know? So yeah, that, for the, the most frequently questions, yeah, for every question you get, the most common ones have a story. And that's what you use. And I find that very useful to break beliefs in sales, very useful to connect with people as well. And just this content. Yeah. Well, I have a client. It's, you're onto something because I have a client who's written seven books and he's also a professor and he's got a business and all these things. And he's, he goes to keynotes and he does he did a keynote in Brazil. He did a keynote in Texas. He does keynotes everywhere um, as well as being a professor and an author. And he says that I, I, I asked him, like, how do you do you prepare stuff? Like, how do you have stuff to talk about? And he says he, he has like the same four to five stories memorized so that he always has stuff to talk about no matter what the topic is. So he has stories that relate to the things that he's going to talk about at all times, whether it's executives or personal development or authorship, he always has stories to go along with it. So I think you're a hundred percent right as and he's a, he's written fiction and nonfiction. It's also super good for sales, like story emails. Like I used to start, it's a mistake to think people buy logically, man. Like even on B2B, it's also a common mistake. It's like people will buy logically because I can give them a higher ROI. Bullshit. They do not do that. They tell, like, they, you need to get them in an emotional state, an emotional manner. And I thought for the longest time uh, that was not true. I thought that if I just keep posting testimonials, people will say, definitely, let's check it out. Bullshit. But every time I tell your testimonial, I never say, you got 30K a month with 10K followers. I, I, don't, I don't say numbers. I say, he made so much money, now he's in Bali. And I used a picture of you in an elephant. And then people go like, <laughs> oh, that's so sick. The elephant. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. That was my favorite experience in Southeast Asia. Well, yeah, where was that, Thailand? That was in, yeah, Chiang Mai, Thailand. How was it? Oh, man, that was beautiful. It's like, uh, um, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I just said it was beautiful, like uh, like Thailand. I wouldn't live there. The same, like it's not it's not as nice as Bali for living, but it was amazing to visit for like two days. My feet were just laid covered in clay because it's just walking in clay all day, or not clay, whatever their mud is. It's kind of like clay. Nice. Well, well, there you go. That's another story that people can can connect with. Uh, yeah. So that's stories that move you, and another one is objects as well. So for me, it's I could it's showing, not telling. Like, I could tell my coaches, like, I appreciate them, right? Like, I can't do that because you're not a coach anymore. But I could tell them, like, oh, I appreciate you so much. But the other day I thought, you know what I, what I should do? I, let's just give them something to remember. So I asked for all of their addresses. And turns out it's legal to ship um, sharpened katanas. So I order sharpened katanas. And I, and I send them katanas to every single one with their name engraved, too. You could do that. It's actually kind of cool. If I don't get a fucking katana... The pod listeners are going to be hearing about it every week. 
I want to fucking katana. You think you think it ships to where you are? I don't think so. No, you could ship it to my new apartment in six weeks when I move back. Oh, okay. Well, we can do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I will put I'm gonna it behind my <laughs> Yeah, on the podcast, you should have one behind. With an emergency, it's gonna be like an emergency fire hydrant. I have to smash the glass to get it out. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> It's fucking unnecessary. Yeah. Just, <laughs> and your girl's like, oh, baby, we have a gun. And you're like, it doesn't matter. I, I've been waiting I, I, for this guy for like 10 fucking years. They might be guy. <laughs> so uh, sometimes it's like some people just, you prepare for scenarios that are never going to happen. Here's how I prepare for a scenario that's never going to happen. I used to practice Taekwondo when I was a kid. I remember nothing about Taekwondo, except I retained some of the flexibility. So I can actually kick pretty high. So that's something that stayed, right? And uh, the other day we were at, um, we were at, um, at a party and like there were, there were drinks in the table, on the table, that's so hard, on the table. And somebody threw like a bosu ball because they were like, that was the theme of the thing. And it was right out of reach of my hand, but it was right within reach of my foot. So I've been preparing for 23 years for this moment. I lifted my foot and saved the drinks. It will probably never be relevant again. But for that moment, I was a hero and it was the greatest thing that happened that night. I was have really proud of that. Have you seen the meme of the guy who... <laughs> Yeah, he's holding all the pizza boxes and then one falls off the top and he catches it and he looks at his hand and he cooked like this. He's like. It's <laughs> 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 like, shit, I don't have powers. <laughs> it's just the little things, man. Like we, we prepare for like shadow boxing in the shower. That's also part of it, man. You know, you're not going to shadow box a motherfucker, but you this is how you know, as a weave, I didn't shadow box in the shower. I would water bend. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like I thought I was Katara. <laughs> Dude, I, used, I used to jump from my, from my table, like, you know, the table right next to the bed, to the bed. Cause I would to, to turn like a dragon, like Jake Long. I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel like Jake. I'm gonna turn into fucking dragon, and I get pissed because I said, "Mom, like, does God love me?" She's like, "Absolutely, son. God loves you. Like, why won't He turn me into a dragon?" I've asked her several times. It's like this just didn't have an answer. You know, I'm still waiting for that. And not worthy, son. Yeah, maybe not. All right, I guess that's the pod. I guess that's how we end it. That's the pod. That was good. All right, see you guys. See you the next one. Cheers.